0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today's guest is a really interesting perspective of someone who's gone through many shifts in their career and in an industry that's changing as well. I've got Duri Alizrami, and Duri's gonna share his path coming first of all, moving from Dubai over to Canada, where he really shares you know, the focus on finding balance in your career that aligns with your family life. And it's a really beautiful story that he shares in terms of how he was able to transform for opportunity, for hope. We went on though to really spend a lot of our time talking about the shift that's happening in the way we purchase. And he's at a company, Moneris, some of you may not be familiar with Moneris, but it's in the payment processing space, a space that I kind of feel personally has gone from really dry to kind of sexy over the last number of years. We've got really cool companies like Square in that space and others who are changing the way we pay to make it something we actually somewhat look forward to as much as it's painful to pay for anything. You know, Dury talks about the shift that's happened in power. And with that shift is also his career, where he moved from the agency side over to the brand side. Really interesting perspectives that'll get you to think about who is your buyer and how do we need to support them. This is The Marketer's Journey. And here's my chat with Dury. Hey, Dory. Thank you so much for finding time to chat with us this week. So my first question for you is you've taken this C-level opportunity. It's not just a CMO. We get a lot of CMOs on this podcast, but it's CSMO. What does that stand for?
1: So that stands for Chief Sales and Marketing Officer.
0: All right. And, And what... Degree of sales reports into you. Do you have sales reps reporting into you at Moneris or is this more the you know the revenue piece?
1: No, absolutely. so i uh, I run both the sales department and the marketing department, and a few years back, we decided to merge sales and marketing together as everyone should because they're th- the two sides of the acquisition coin. You have a lot of customers today that choose digital to onboard and to do business with companies. And then you have many who still want to call people or want to operate in the field. And this allows us to sort of put the two sides of the acquisition coin together uh, and and make sure that we, we drive more efficiency with both.
0: Gotcha. And, and for those tuning in who don't know the brand Moneris, Moneris is not a small company. This isn't one of these, let's be economical and throw someone the sales and the marketing side of the coin. How, how big is Moneris and how big is each of those two sides of the equation for you?
1: Moneris um, is by no means a small company. It is uh, It is the true leader in fintech in Canada. We are the number one payment solution provider in Canada. We were the first payment solution provider in Canada. We're actually celebrating. Our 20th anniversary this year uh, under these, uh, you know, interesting circumstances, and uh, we operate uh, nationally across four office, uh, offices uh, across Canada. The total number of employees at Moneris is close to 1,800 employees, and within sales and marcom, uh, I have a total team of approximately 300 people.
0: 300 people. Okay, so so you got quite a lot on your plate and. So let's take a step back. I mean, getting to this opportunity is an amazing accomplishment in your career, Thank you. uh, early in your career, for sure. So I'm sure there's more great things to come. But, you know, if, if someone were to you know see your path, it's not traditional by any means. The first one that I'm curious about is what brought you to Canada? Because, you know, the beginning of your career was spent in Dubai.
1: hundred percent. So I think what brought me to Canada is what brought everyone to Canada, which is hope, uh, a more progressive life for the kids mainly, um, you know, you're always driven, you know, I have a 16 year old and a 12 year old. And as much as I'd like to think that I'm in control of my life, they on it, uh, you know, as a parent yourself, you would know this firsthand. I, I had traveled a lot throughout my life. And I had sort of established some parameters around what life should be and what life shouldn't be. Uh, and, you know, both me and uh, my partner at the time decided that Canada, we came and we visited here and we fell in love, obviously, with the country and the people and decided that this could be a new stepping uh, stone or a stepping ground for us, uh, for the kids.
0: Gotcha. Well, with it, without getting political, I've had other people in the last number of months reach out from south of our border saying, they I in Canada, and we, we won't go there today other than, than to say it's a great place. I'm, I'm curious more from a learning, though, for people thinking about making that geographical move and aligning it with their career. What did you go through to think about how do I move, forget about countries, continents in your case, and not miss a beat in terms of career progression?
1: Yep. And to to make sure that we also satisfy all the legal requirements and the political requirements, you should do it legally, obviously, (laughs) as our friends south of the border like to say. You know, throughout my life, I've had times where business and work and practicality has taken the precedent. And then sometimes you have to put life first. And, uh, you know, whereas my move to Dubai from Jordan to Dubai was definitely more of a materialistic business mindset move or a business was driving the move because Dubai was a bigger, uh, you know, a regional market. You know, it was, you know, replicating the model of Singapore. It was the place everybody wanted to be, uh, you know, 10 years ago and, and before in a way from a business. My move to Canada was definitely a point where I put life first. And I put quality of life uh, first uh, for me, and obviously for generations to come. Uh, the way we did it is we actually had a, a couple who are our friends who had moved to Canada prior, who lived in Dubai before, and they went through obviously the process of applying for a landed immigrant status, where you you know you have to build a case and and provide enough proof to show that you can come and contribute positively and be uh, you know a, a good. Citizen, and and we applied for it, and it took three years actually. It's not it's by no means a short process. It's a big commitment, and obviously, I had when I moved to Canada in 2008. I had a pretty established career in the Middle East. I was the managing director of Mindshare Middle East in North Africa, which is one of the largest WPP agencies globally. I had to uproot all that setup that I worked really hard to to create around me there for the promise of you know a better future for the kids and. Uh, you know, landing this job um, 11 years later on the client side where I needed to be, which is the normal uh, transition or, or, or growth uh, for any agency professional these days with everything that is happening in the agency world and the agency model, the agency mod- business model is shifting and changing, uh, was was a clear proof that I uh, made the right decision moving to Canada.
0: That's a great summary. And and you fast forwarded a bit over those 11 years yes. as you refer to them. Yeah, you know, and 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 I and I think it's important to note, though. I mean, you you talk about making the sacrifice, but you you came in with a, a great brand, a great agency in Ogilvy One, you know, and and continued on through other agencies, you know, through you know DDB Canada, et cetera. I mean, these are these are powerhouse agencies, but then you you hit on that big jump that you made in the last you know three four years. And that is coming onto the client side, you know, joining a company like Moneros, where we started this conversation. And, and what was the appeal for you to leave the agency world, maybe temporarily, maybe long term and come over to, to a client brand?
1: It, it, honestly, I wasn't unique in that manner because every single agency executive I know, and obviously we're, you know, it's it's not a huge world. It's a small world, basically, of agency executives in Toronto and, and beyond in Canada. and. We've all seen the transition and the shift that has been happening powered by digital. What digital has done, essentially, it has allowed brands to create channels for connecting directly with consumers, whether you're talking about their websites or social media presence or any digital platform or digital ecosystem they create around the brand. Uh, You know, that presence is for uh, the ability to connect directly with consumers and customers. Like, you know, like, you know, similarly, Customers and consumers for the past 20 years have been leading the digital revolution. They've been building a new, very powerful voice in media. They are today dominating content production. It is no longer the CNNs and the Associated Press and you know, the CBCs that produce the most content around any topic, citizen journalism. And you know the democratization of content has created uh, like a wealth of consumer power. And this has allowed, you know, a digitally increasing digital customer, increasing digital brand has allowed them to connect directly, cutting the middle men and women of advertising, basically. So the agency mm-hmm. model has become slowly but surely very obsolete, specifically the past 10 years. And this is something on the agency side, when you keep hearing, you know, this customer has built an in-house social media division, or they've hired social media community managers, the writing was on the wall. We knew that this was a transition. We've been educating and evangelizing for decades. And they learned, they finally learned, which is not a bad thing. Like clients now know the value of digital and they've made serious investments at Mineris. By the way, part of the reason I was hired in at the beginning to become vice president of marketing communications is to build that in-house agency. I had for them the right experience to building successful multinational agencies across three continents. And they wanted someone to come in and build that in-house agency, which is exactly what I did for as VP Marcom and that sort of uh, paved the way for me to move to the role of chief sales and marketing officer.
0: Gotcha. So Dury, I, I mean, an, an interesting perspective, and I feel like you've now stamped that your career is going to continue on the brand side because you know, you've somewhat uh, spoken to the, the challenges that the agency is going to have reinventing itself. You know, you, you you also started to hit on this reality of evolution and control of the consumer. I think that's an interesting spot to take a quick break here. We'll come back to the podcast with Dory. We'll jump into understanding how he maps a buyer journey now on the brand side. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip.
1: and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
0: So I wanna go a little bit deeper on how Candid, Dory just was about the decision to jump, and I've had a number of different guests on the Marketer's Journey talk about moving from agency side over to the brand or moving over to client side. And I think the perspective shared there is is a scary reality, and it's one that I worry about for some of the people I know who have been very successful on the agency side. At what point will we start to rely more and more in-house? You know, as, as Dury describes, the importance of connecting with our consumer has moved in-house, has moved us to think about how we build teams in-house who can reply in moments, not turn around campaigns in days or weeks. And I think this is a shift that a lot of us are gonna to continue to see, and it'll be most interesting to understand over time how agencies reinvent themselves, how they become able to respond in the same time that someone in-house who understands your brand, who's helped building that brand over time, and building connections with the customer, can do the same. So one of the interesting parts when I think about the space that you're in now, which is payment processing, is the experience that we think about putting in front of a buyer. And you talked about this consumer behavior and the consumers in control. Historically, I would have thought of a solution like Moneris as very B2B sale. You got to get stores to use that infrastructure and you got to set them up to be successful. Now, as a consumer, I walk in and I want it to be a great experience when I pay. Right? I mean, that like how I tap, what that interface looks like, how do you think of running as a CMO a brand that has to appeal to two sides of different buyers?
1: No, uh, 100%. It, it is a challenge. It's definitely a new challenge because to your point, you know, B2B was a very clearly drawn out line in the past. You know, where, you know, you you know if you, if you're a business that sells solutions to other businesses, you operate in B2B. So any customer knowledge, any know-how, any personas we built in the past, had to be about merchants and about you know our own customers. That's that's the extent of you know sales knowledge and experience. Uh, that's the extent of servicing experience. That's the extent of marketing experience. And B two C is a different planet. What has what has happened now is, first of all, when you think of the largest segment of customers for any payment solution provider, it is the small businesses. It is the millions of small businesses who have just made the switch from a consumer to a business. So they went from the being the, the C to the B, basically. So they bring with them a lot of the appetite, specifically the more digital native, millennial. They bring with them a lot of the experiences and benchmarks and appetite from the consumer world. Uh, they've used Expedia to book flights. They've used Airbnb to book you know uh, rooms and cottages. They've used Uber to move around. And they understand what a good experience what a good customer centric empowering experience is so you have that influx of all those gig economy marketplace people coming into payments with their expectations of what a good experience looks like how you should cater to me as a customer how digital centric your offering should be how I can choose my own channel of choice maybe I don't want to call someone maybe I want to go online and buy my solution online so that's the influx from the sort of from the front end. From the back end as well, to your point, which is you know absolutely correct, is today when you go into a restaurant, for example, in the past, the owner of the terminal or the operator of the terminal is the merchant. They hand it over to you, you swipe, you tap, you insert the card, you put your pin, and then it's done. But today what's happening is the customer can choose to split the bill. The customer can choose if they want an e-invoice or a printed out receipt. The customer can choose multitude a multitude of things. Uh, sometimes also it's an input point for research, for surveys as well, for like quick snap surveys. So it is starting to bleed. Payment solutions are starting to bleed into uh, more of a customer B2C, to, we call it B2B2C basically experience. Plus when you're thinking of you know, uh, your, you know your Apple Watch being your new payment device or your new card on file, your phone is your new payment device, it is, you know, the lines between B2B and B2C from an experience perspective, from a technology enablement, from a mobility perspective are blurring. And now payments providers are having to think of both the customer experience in our traditional sense, which is the merchant, and the consumer experience as well, to make sure that we offer a holistic winning experience.
0: That word holistic is such an important one. I, I'm curious as you operationalize your team. How holistic is that approach? Do you have one team that's focused, if you will, on the B2B experience and one on the B2C? Are there the same individuals working both sides of the coin?
1: So that's a great question. So today, the way we operate is we have, so, you know, it's a bit of both, I would say. There's the sort of the, um, the, the sales channels setup where you have, you know, a regional team, you have a field team and so on and so forth without sharing all of our secret sauce. But then you have on the other side, you have the growing digital selling team. So you have the traditional sort of call center, field regional type of team. And then you have a growing and aggressively growing, specifically during COVID, obviously, a digital selling team that operates across virtual channels. So whether it is the same way we're communicating over like a Zoom call or a Teams call to be able to sell and impress and influence merchants through a virtual means because of the new reality we live and then all the way to digital acquisition and digital boarding i.e the customer runs the entire experience from a to z because what's happening is if you think about it 90% this was like a financial post study from a couple of years ago 90% of canadians start their buying journey online okay and where do they start it on search they go and they look for you know accept credit or accept debit or canada's best payments or accept payments in canada And then the next step, obviously, once they see that, is they look at reviews and they look at, you know, they try to shape an opinion, they look at social media, and then they go and they visit you. And that's what, you know, we call it the digital dating experience, where they come and they look at the website. Is it legible? Is it clearly transitioning the experience and the learning for them? And does it drive them to make a positive action, i.e. sign up for something or, you know, just submit their email for additional follow-up? So... We're building Moneris from a sales perspective around the concept of channel of choice. We cannot dictate to a customer to call or to request an in-person meeting or a virtual meeting or to simply buy and transact with Moneris and buy any of our payment solutions or offers or, or data solutions directly. But maybe they want to do it online, purely online. The way they, again, they book their flight online and they book their hotel online. So, we're building, uh, we're future proofing Monero from a sales perspective, and we're future proofing the sales team to make sure that we are catering for the channel of choice. We're building the customer in the middle. We put the customer in the middle, and then we build our funnel, which in the past was a funnel, is now think of it as a layered swirl around the customer where we offer different touch points, pair the customer's preference. If you're a digital savvy millennial, or a Gen X digital savvy person who wants to own the experience from A to Z, then you have the digital boarding channels that we have, which are growing in size exponentially for obvious reasons. And then if you would rather talk to someone directly, talk to a human, even meet them in person to walk you through some of the solutions, that's obviously uh, the established uh, channel that we have.
0: So as we wrap up here, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss to not hit on a question that's on everyone's mind in the space that you're in, which is you know, the move to digital has been accelerated more than any of us could have expected 12 months ago. Uh, you know, the pandemic has forced many of us to buy from home. And as you talk about this swirl of channels, uh, there's no question that many of us have had to quickly adapt to a digital one first. What has that been like on your side and how have you adjusted to quickly support your merchants?
1: So that's a great question. So, you know, the way we say it at Moneris, and we see the data, we see the numbers, so there's math to support this. Uh, COVID has done in six months what the entire retail industry has been trying to do for two decades, which has turned e-commerce mainstream. While pre-March, Canadian consumers, both and merchants, Wanting to sell and buy online was an optional thing. Uh, During the lockdown, e-commerce became mandatory. It is the only way you can operate if you're a retailer and you want to sell. You have curbside and then you have e-com, basically. And both, there's a digital connectivity aspect to them. So what we've seen is we've seen an exponential growth in e-commerce and it was like a blessing in disguise for definitely for many companies to fast track uh, uh, that forward. And there are many, by the way, it's it's no longer the good news obviously is uh, e-commerce is no longer a complicated process there are many great tools in the market Moneris online happens to be one of them it's like an e-com in a box solution where you get a website a shopping cart a payment gateway and a deliver a delivery and fulfillment extension with ups uh, where in days to weeks depending on how fast the merchant wants to set it up you can be online you can be selling online and scaling beyond your physical limited uh, geography Honestly, on that front, it's been, again, a blessing in disguise that e-comm is finally taking off uh, in Canada and practically around the world. Uh, And the good news is we've always seen that at Moneris. We've always, you know, these are not new ideologies at Moneris. Channel of choice is not a term we coined this year. Uh, Digital uh, enablement and digital enrollment is not a channel we launched this year. So we've been ready for this. We definitely, as with everyone else on the planet, did not see this coming. Uh, specifically at this velocity. Uh, But I think we're in a good place, and one of our areas of focus is to continue competing and to uh, increase our level of competitiveness on the e-com side uh, as we are on the face-to-face side. Moneris happens to be, again, the largest uh, uh, player in the market from a face-to-face perspective. Uh, And we continue to uh, augment and push and grow our um, uh, e-com, both uh, products, and channels of delivery uh, in the next uh, months and years.
0: Fascinating, really enjoying understanding this. And I mean, we're all living this on the flip side of of you discussing it. So it's interesting to understand what's happening in the background. And I can only imagine the the influx of demand for for customers needing to adapt. So it must be interesting times to be in this role in this company reshaping the way we, we purchase. Dory, this has been great. We're going to keep you around after a short last break here, learn a little bit about how you're keeping healthy in the mind and and finding time for yourself and your family right after a short break here. One of the things that I can't stop thinking about listening to Dory is how much control the buyer has today and how much that experience ultimately matters. I mean, think about many of us in our day to day when we're on netflix we're in control when we're on spotify we're in control and these are great experiences being put in front of us when you shift into the space that dory's in around payment processing now he talks about the ways in which we pay in, in different ways in a store but i can remember back to not just tapping and how good of a tap that was i remember back in the day when we would just give our credit card they'd disappear with it they'd come back with a piece of paper we'd sign back then it wasn't much of an experience Now there's an experience. We expect to pay, we expect information in return, we expect reward in return. There's this opportunity to extend the buying process beyond that payment, to get updates as we go. That idea is something that we can carry into all of our buyer journeys. What is happening post-sale for you? What is happening after someone transacts? And I think we can look a lot of what's happening in payment processing and pull it into B2B experiences and B2C experiences and really think about that customer experience from the first time they've learned about us to post-sale, which is such an important stage, especially now in this pandemic where we can't necessarily greet someone face to face the way we used to. Okay, so we've unpacked your career, we've talked a little bit about the wild space you're in and how the world is adapting. How have you adapted to this world? I mean, we can no longer go on a vacation to take a break. How do you work a break into your schedule for your team and your family?
1: Well, with with difficulty, (laughs) I've adapted with difficulty. And we we have a joke around uh, Moneris that, you know, we're all getting used to the new abnormal, basically. Honestly, the way I have been uh, able to, uh, you know, somewhat adapt and, you know, we try to encourage the team to adapt and our clients and our partners is through connectivity, is through continuing to stay connected, continuing to stay in touch, while at the same time understand that, you know, merging and converging uh, home life and work life into one another is by no means Uh, you know, uh, a walk in the park, you know, at the beginning of the conversation, I had to move rooms because we, you know, my kids had talked me to a new pet uh, project, which is a parrot that tends to be loud when I'm talking. So that's a small example of the adjustment of moving your work back to home and dealing with all those, um, you know, uh, effects and elements. I think making sure you have time for motion, because posture is, uh, is one of the key challenges that I continue to hear about uh, you know, which are causing obviously some you know pain and some you know l- lack of uh, healthy behavior around movement and are making sure that you move around. Uh, take advantage of the fact that you're at home and you know take your pet or dog on a you know and an extra walk or a couple of extra walks to put in some steps, additional steps. Uh, try to take breaks between the meetings because at the beginning we were all guilty of back-to-back uh, conference calls and Zoom calls and Teams calls. Uh, try to find a good balance between video on and video off because sometimes you need the flexibility to be able to multitask, especially if you're like me and you're cooking for the kids during a conference call as a single parent, it's, it's obviously an extra challenge. Absolutely. You have to be mindful. The most important, I think, tip that I got and advice I got, um, and we do a lot of training uh, and wellness training and health training within Moneris because we're very mindful of this being a true new challenge for everyone, is pace yourself. You have to pace yourself. This is not a one month thing like we thought in March. This is not a six month thing. Uh, we're in this for the long haul and I don't think any modern society is gonna expect their people to go back uh, full steam ahead to normal work and normal uh, you know, connectivity without a proper plan for COVID and the vaccine and make, making sure that everyone's health comes first. So pace yourself, get used to this new normal, Uh, Find time in your day to move around, to stand up. Find time to change formats. It can't be all video conferencing. Some have to be calls. Book time in your calendar in advance to take a break, to take a breather. Don't force either parts or feel bad, by the way, about the fact that your kids are walking in the background or your pets are barking in the background. Welcome. I think one of the most beautiful things, actually, that has humanized work is the fact that we brought everyone into our kitchen. Everyone at Mineras that I've never thought would be in my kitchen has seen my kitchen, has seen my kids, has seen my pets, or has heard them. And it's not a bad thing to humanize work and to bring both together. And it's actually, in a weird way, it is helping with work-life balance because we are humanizing uh, work. Take it easy and pace yourself.
0: That's great advice. Really beautiful advice. I, I appreciate you sharing and and you know helping us understand how you've kept it to be a, a new abnormal, as you called it earlier, uh, Dory. This has been fantastic. If people are tuning in for the first time, enjoying this. Uh, check out the perspectives of many of the guests that we've had on The Marketer's Journey. And, you know, eventually I hope to hear yours, and what you've learned from these and how you've made your own journey along the way. Until next time, find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Music, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Marketer's Journey.